So setting up a little bit of context for our gospel reading today, which was from Mark chapter 9. It was Jesus calling Matthew. Uh, Remember, this is Matthew's gospel. It's the same Matthew, the tax collector, that Jesus is calling. So we have a, a transformation of, uh, of a man who is a tax collector into an apostle, into the one who wrote the first gospel, bearing witness to the life of Jesus. But the context of all of this is um, a couple of chapters, really chapters 8 and 9 belong together, and what Matthew is doing in these chapters is revealing to us uh, the identity of Jesus and something of the power and the authority uh, that Jesus had in his earthly ministry. And so what you, and if you were to go back and read those chapters, you would find a series of healings. Jesus healed many uh, as he ministered in that area of Capernaum, he, he uh, showed that he had authority over sickness and authority over disease. But not only that, Jesus w- was out uh, with his disciples and they were in a boat and this great storm comes along and Jesus stands up and quiets the storm. And Matthew's clearly presenting to us the reality that Jesus not only has authority and power over sickness and disease, he has authority and power over nature itself. And the disciples are amazed. Who is this man that even the wind (laughs) obeys him? And then there's an encounter that he has with two men possessed with demons, and Jesus sets them free from that demonic grip upon them. He sends those demons into a herd of pigs. The people say, hey, would you leave our area? We, you know, this is too much. You're, you're kind of messing with our, with our industry of pig farming here. Um, Jesus demonstrates that he has power and authority over the powers of darkness itself. And then in this chapter, chapter 9, the beginning, the beginning story that we have is Jesus demonstrating his authority to forgive. And he does that in a, in a healing encounter with the paralytic that was brought to him by his friends. He looks at this man paralyzed on his mat and says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And, of course, the murmuring begins among the Pharisees and the scribes who, who were witnessing this. Who is this guy that thinks that he can forgive sin? And, and Jesus says, rise up, take your bed, and go home. And the paralyzed man rises up and goes home whole and healed. But it was more than just a physical healing. It was a spiritual healing. His sins were forgiven. Matthew wants us to know that that this Jesus, this Jesus not only has power over nature and disease and, and the powers of darkness, but he has the authority to forgive, to wipe clean a slate, to give a person a new start and a new day. And he did it for that paralytic man. 
And all of that sets the context for, for uh, Jesus to, to call Matthew. Jesus, who, who on his cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He came in order that we might experience and know that forgiveness, that we might step into that new day, that we might begin again, be born again, have new life in the name of Jesus. And he demonstrates it in such an amazing way in this passage. So Matthew, the gospel writer, tells the story of Matthew, the tax collector, whom Jesus calls. Verse 9 of that that ninth chapter of Matthew, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose up, and he followed him. And what I don't want us to miss, because that's so brief, it's such a, a kind of just a sketch of what happened. I mean, there has to be backstory here. That, that wasn't Matthew's first encounter with Jesus. Certainly Matthew had witnessed and heard Jesus teach and had seen some of these healings and, and it was exposed to the stories of what Jesus was doing in this region of Capernaum. And, and so Jesus comes and presents himself to Matthew at his tax booth. Two words, follow me, Jesus says to him, follow me. And what we don't want to miss is, is that in, in the center of this reality for Matthew, and I would say for us, is the relationship that Jesus was inviting him into. It wasn't, Matthew, follow my teachings. Certainly Jesus would have him do that. But it was much more personal. It was much more relational. Matthew, follow me. And as amazing as that authority of Jesus speaking to this kind of, you know, half-breed, he, he had, tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people. They had aligned themselves with Rome. They had sold out. And most often, they extorted beyond what they were supposed to collect uh, in taxes to line their own pockets. And so they were completely dis- despised people. And Jesus comes to this Matthew and he presents himself and he just says, follow me. And as amazing as it is that Jesus would say that to Matthew, it's equally amazing that Matthew got up and followed him. But obviously, God, the Holy Spirit, had been working on Matthew. He had been seeing and hearing and looking, and he wasn't content with his life. And he felt like Jesus had something to offer him. And he rose up, and he followed him. He entered into relationship with him. Relationship with the Lord is at the center of what it is, I would suggest, for those being confirmed, for those joining this church, for us as the people of God. It's that vibrant, dynamic, living relationship with Jesus Christ which forms the center of what we're about and why we come to this place week in and week out. The Apostle Paul 
in Philippians, kind of, he, he lays out all of his religious achievements. And then he says, but I count it all as loss, as dung. I count it as nothing for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Apostle Paul knew that at the center of his life and his call and his identity was this relationship, and all he longed for was to know Jesus Christ at the end of the day, to step further and deeper into that, into that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all so important for us. It was important for Jesus when he restored Peter at the end of John's gospel. Peter, who had denied him, Jesus meets him, resurrected from the dead, and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You, you know, tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. It, because Jesus knew at the center what, what needed to be restored was that relationship. That it was that relationship of love, knowing the love of Christ, knowing and, and reciprocating that love. We love him because he first loved us, right? That's what the Apostle John writes. It's knowing the love of Christ that calls out of us the love of Christ, that builds the relationship, which is the essence of the Christian life. Jesus continually was inviting people to follow him. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, all who labor, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, come to me, he says. Enter into this relationship. That's how we, we step into the kingdom of God and experience the kingdom of God is to, to return the love that Christ has demonstrated for us and live it out in relationship with him. And Matthew does just that. He follows him. So clearly if this probably crooked businessman who aligned himself with Rome, extorted people. If, if he can follow Jesus, then this forgiveness stuff that Jesus was just talking about when he healed the paralytic must be for real. That that death on the cross where he uttered those words must have accomplished what is necessary for us. Jesus knew that this call of Matthew, which was being witnessed in the public square, uh, would have had its effect. I think he was very intentional in everything that he did. And he goes on to really turn up the volume. Not only does he call that good-for-nothing Matthew, but then he goes to a party, probably thrown by Matthew, that was filled with tax collectors and sinners. I think about that. Jesus was comfortable having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. It's amazing. It's kind of a challenge for us, I think, sometimes in the church 
we, we kind of have the inside and those on the outside. And yet Jesus was so quick to move out to the circle of the outsiders, if you will. And they were comfortable with him. Certainly, that should be true of our lives. If we're like Christ, then he's going to allow us to kind of build relationship. Jesus receives the, the, the sinner who repents. Jesus receives those who, who want to taste and experience the kingdom of God and, and who are hoping that there's more to life than, than just what we're seeing and experiencing. And so he reclines at table and and what do they do the pharisees see this and they they don't go to jesus they go to his disciples and they say what is this how how is it that your your uh teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners and jesus overhears that and he says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick Go and learn what this means. I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's Jesus' response to, to the Pharisees who are so upset. He says, I've come for those who are sick. And of course, the great irony here is that we're all sick that those Pharisees were sick, that they were every bit as broken and as far from God as the tax collectors and the sinners. And one thing Jesus does is he breaks down that dividing wall between the inside and the out. And he takes all of us and he puts us on level ground below his cross where it's very clear that we all need a physician, that we're all broken, that we all fall short of the glory of God, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans, that we all need what Jesus has, that we're all invited into this life-giving, life-changing relationship with him and that the only thing that keeps us from walking fully into that is when we misdiagnose our own need and we declare ourselves righteous as the Pharisees did. It's a self-righteousness that he's talking about. And, and this life in the kingdom for Jesus, if you read the Gospels, it's, it's a matter of grace. It's not a matter of performance. It's not a matter of religious duty. It's a matter of grace. It's a matter of what he's accomplished and what he's done, much more than it is what we do. The Apostle Paul had a had a lot of time in his own experience as he encountered Christ, persecutor of the church. He experienced that grace which allowed him to say, I count everything as loss. I just want this relationship. I want to grow in the love 
and the fullness and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul was about, and he had time to reflect on that. He was a good Jewish man. He understood the scriptures, and he came to realize that this grace that Jesus was introducing to us as the people of God and the kingdom of God was not altogether new. That as a matter of fact, the God of the Old Testament was also the God of grace. He wasn't a harsh God or a different God. And Paul kind of plays that out. We're just getting a little piece out of, out of the Romans epistle. But in that passage we heard Romans 4 Paul says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heirs, that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So Abraham, who was the father of Israel, he was the father of faith. He, he trusted in what God promised. He trusted in that relationship through God's promise. He trusted in God himself, and that was the basis of his righteousness. Now, mind you, Paul will say, the law didn't come till hundreds of years later. So our right standing with God, another way of understanding righteousness, our right standing with God is based not on what we do, how we fulfill the law, how righteous we can live our lives. Paul says, no, that comes by faith. That comes relationally by trusting, by believing in the one who has promised You see, Jesus was right. He said, I did not come to call the righteous. What he could have said is, I I have come to make you righteous. Because that's exactly what he's done. It's an imputed righteousness. It's a gift righteousness. It's something that he accomplished on his cross and in his resurrection. It's what we celebrate at this table every day. Is that gift that gives us right standing with God. And Paul goes on in this little passage in, in Romans, and, and he, he goes on to say that in verse 17, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. What Paul's talking about is this reality that there is no longer the inside and the outside. That it's no longer Israel as God's people, but God's vision, God's promise from the beginning was to make Abraham the father of faith, the the father of many nations. That he would have heirs of every nation. So no longer do you have the insiders and the outsiders because God in Christ fulfilling his promise to Abraham, has now made a people out of a people, as Peter says, who were no people. Beloved, that's us. Christ came for you and for me. He came in order that we might have this relationship, that we might follow him by his grace. And and he says he's able to give life to the dead, 
Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were all dead in our trespasses in the ways that we used to walk, but God's made us alive in Christ. He's, he's done that in us. He's called into existence things that do not exist. So this is how Jesus could stand in front of that tax booth and say to Matthew, Matthew, come, follow me. And that's how he transformed a tax collector into an apostle. And all of this, beloved, begs two questions for me, and I want to say for us. One is, how is our relationship with Christ? Is it the first thing for us? Is it the first order of importance in our lives? Are we following him? Are we spending time with him? Are we nurturing that relationship in such a way that he can live through us and in us? And then secondly, and perhaps a little more difficult, is are we inclined sometimes to be like the Pharisees, to think that we're on the inside because we experience this and to look differently at the people on the outside. In other words, do we have the eyes of Christ that can look at a Matthew and see a transformed man? Can we look at our neighbors and our family members and the people we work with that, that seem so outside and have a vision for how God might use us to bear and bring witness to the good news of Jesus, to this community, to all that God calls us to. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the witness of your scriptures. We thank you for Matthew, a man that you called to follow you and whom you transformed. Thank you, Lord, that you call each of us. Thank you for those being confirmed today and received and those who are joining this church and to each and every person in this room. Thank you that you know us by name and that you invite us into relationship with you. Lord, may we step more fully. May we pursue you with all of our heart. May we know your love in greater ways, that we might be empowered we might have vision for those around us who are far away from you, Lord, that we might see them as your own, that we might be bearers of your gospel in this community. And all this we pray in the name and for the glory and sake of Jesus our Lord. Amen.